1: It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Connell. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Very excited uh, to to get into a revisit visit. Regrading review of the 2018 coaching carousel. Um, it was probably the most recent that we can look at uh, that has had the most amount of turnover, the most amount of interesting storylines, and we can look at how the dominoes have fallen, how those hires have played out. Uh, we will do that here in just a little bit. Um, it, it, this is one of the, the several things that we get to do in the offseason, which uh, allows us to have some time to expand on it. Uh, before we get into it, UCF has made a hire of the athletic director. They went to Arkansas State. And so as we are looking to, in the future episodes, you know, wrap up our coaching carousel, UCF's the one thing that's out. And then we can start grading the hires, which we will then revisit three years later and tell ourselves what kind of idiots we were or how smart we were for our takes on said hires. So as uh, as UCF announced, uh, Terry Mohair from Arkansas State as the new athletic director, um, are, are we thinking that UCF might be narrowing in on a head coach? What kind of timetable would you set for that? And you know i don't know if there's any pieces that we could take from this hire to be able to to play it forward in terms of expectation but if you've got an expectation uh, i'd love to hear it
1: i was actually i was trying to figure out i, I don't know who it's going to be but i was kind of running through my head how many power 5 sitting head coaches would leave their current gig for ucf cuz i think it is that good of a job and we saw it you know a couple of years ago when dana left you know West Virginia for Houston I think UCF's a better job than Houston or at least it's on a very similar tier and I feel like if you're a coach at a certain situation like maybe you were hired in the 2018 cycle and things aren't going great uh, I, I if you're still sitting at your job and maybe you're kind of that seat's heating up a little bit maybe UCF is looking like a pretty enticing option for some coaches that you know you don't typically see going from the power five to the group of five level
2: are you thinking about maybe one coach in particular who's familiar with the job
1: no i mean he obviously he came up but i, I don't know way i do he don't would, think he would leave he would leave his
0: alma mater but, oh
1: my goodness but i just like if you just think of like you know bottom half power five conferences like the the jobs in the bottom half i think you could make a very sound argument that ucf is a better job than a lot of those jobs especially if we're talking similar money
2: right like so the money on a per year basis is not that similar Right. Like you're going to make more money at most of your bottom tier Power Five jobs on a per year basis. But your chance of coaching for more than just your initial contract at UCF, I think, is far greater than it is at some of these jobs that are just you know, purely like one contract jobs. I've, I've been on record saying I think Beamer will be out after the first contract. It, that's kind of a one contract job given South Carolina's expectations. You know, schools like that, yeah, he's going to make more money per year, but he might be able to coach if you wanted to six, eight, 10 years at UCF given their resources. Uh, the, the, the new hire, uh, I did talk to some people over there at UCF. He has a history of hiring guys who are very aggressive on offense. They want to be up-tempo. It's kind of what we thought UCF would do just because they want to maintain their brand identity. But I, I think, honestly, this hire kind of emboldens my, my thought of, hey, maybe it's a Rhett Lashley or a Jeff Levy type. If you know, somebody's going to spread the field, go up-tempo. Use the speed you can get in the state of Florida.
0: Yeah, he hired Brian Harson and he hired Blake Anderson. And I believe Blake Anderson was offensive coordinator at North Carolina before that, uh, without a doubt. Danny, UCF fan number one, anyone that you want to see?
3: Uh, for head coach? Yeah. Um, no, I'd like to probably see him keep some sort of a similar identity. You know, keep I mean, they had an incredible offense. Why would you try to go with a different, you know, like a way different direction? The good news is most people are going. With these up tempo, kind of spread it all over the field type of systems. Um, I do think UCF is an extremely attractive job. I do wonder if Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, the kind of premier stepping stone jobs, because that's what they are, right? I mean, if you're going to UCF, you probably have your eyes set on three to four years. You want to parlay that into a Power, like a premier Power Five job, like almost everybody has that's been at these schools one of these days though i do wonder if ucf could luck themselves into or this would be my my sales pitch if i was terry mohajer i would say hey we're one or two things is going to happen it's just a matter of time one we're going to gain access to the playoffs and whether that's expansion or we join a power five conference or there's realignment then you could be here for life. Cause I, I, as much as you can pay, you just can't match those teams. They're going to come swooping in like a Nebraska, um, like a Texas, like an Ohio state, you know, would come in. So that would be my sales pitch if I was there. And then maybe do you luck yourself into a Gary Patterson type situation? Who's been at TCU was there before kept him on. He's one of the longest tenured coaches there. Cause I think it's an extremely, it's, it's one of those ones where I think it could be a destination job, but, it's got to be the right coach. Like if there's somebody younger, like are they really going to want to stay there for the long haul? I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating job though, and I think it's a great gig.
2: Danny, uh, just one thing quickly before we get into the coaching grades deal. I, I know Chip asks, is there any new news we should discuss. I, I actually think that the news of Florida scheduling a home-and-home with Notre Dame in 2031 is just kind of another peg in, in, in the evidence that we're probably going to go to eight at some point, right? T- teams are not going to schedule themselves – that many potential losses with the current format staying in place. Because now, like as much as we want to say who's most deserving, you know, one loss can knock you out. Two losses does knock you out of the playoff. And I, w- with an 18 playoff, it, w- with conference championship auto bids, w- with some certain limitations, it, it probably wouldn't, right? So uh, I, I think we are probably going to get to a point with expansion here and all the scheduling evidence, says to me, says that a lot of these ADs agree.
3: You think, I don't, you think it's that much different? I mean, we had – what was it? USC, Alabama before, like, wasn't that scheduled right at the beginning of the playoff? Like, I don't, uh, the thing I was bummed about is I'm like, why are we still doing this? Like I thought COVID was potentially going to change things where we'd get better matchups and not last minute, not six days before, but maybe you'd see teams take a little bit more of a nearsighted approach as opposed to going 10 years down the road. Like I'm excited for this matchup but a part of me is like, Oh, we're going right back to the way it used to be. Like, we're going to see these, like they're going to, they're going to schedule way off in the future. And I don't know. I was, I was kind of hoping for some spots to be filled late. That would get us some great matchups, great matchup. And I can't wait to see it happen. I just thought maybe we'd see a little bit of a shift in philosophy with the, the way things played out last year, but I don't think we are.
1: Well, you got to remember fans need a good decade to tr- plan their
3: travel. That's right.
2: <laughs> I, I would be just dispo- like more disappointed than I am if I didn't think that there was a, a reason behind the the delay in, in scheduling, right? Like I, like the reason why they're not doing it now is a, I don't know if they have space in their schedules, but b because now if you add another game you could potentially lose, it really could knock you out of the playoff, right? And in the future with an 8 teamer, you know, probably not at least not one loss. If you look at Ford's schedule in 2031, they have I think 3 or 4 games that are legitimately losable if you don't play well, which is just not normal in the non conference for any for really any power.
3: Also not normal for Florida. And we see an SEC team going north. You know, like we do not see that. And it's in November, I think that one is. I think first time since
2: Syracuse in ninety one. Yeah. So, you know, I was six years old.
0: When the is that the last time the Gators went north or any SEC team?
2: There's some kind of stat. It's like the last time Florida went north for a non conference game that was north of, I don't know, like the Mason Dixon line or something like that.
0: The
1: mm.
2: current TV deal for the playoff runs through
1: 2025, 20, 2026? 20, yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's when the expansion will hit. So, yeah, no, that could be why.
0: Yeah. All right, as we start to uh, look at our review, it's interesting because, you know, you go back to 2019, and in the 2019 coaching carousel, all but one of those hires are still in their current job. 2019, you know, that's, that's where you're going to get – Uh, the likes of a a Les Miles at Kansas, a Mac Brown at North Carolina, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, Manny Diaz at Florida, Ryan Day at Ohio State. Now, all of those, for the most part, are still in place. The only one who isn't. Does anyone know the only hire of 2019 that's not still in place?
1: It's uh, Willie.
0: It's. Gary oh, Anderson who oh, walked yeah. out on Utah State when he was like I don't want to I don't I don't want to do this. Uh, Blake Anderson, the former Arkansas State head coach has filled that job. But you move just 1 year prior to the 2018 coaching cycle and first of all, it was a big one for the Power 5. 22 jobs, 22 new hires, 13 of them, more than half at the Power 5 level. And of those 13, 6 have been fired or replaced since then. And the the way that the storylines come together for this year is awesome. Like, I am not gonna do total song parody like that is Hayes Permar sports channel eight. My guys right there, they crush it. But I mean, Jimbo Christmas tree bungled hires at Tennessee rich rod me to McElwain cross fire me. Like, I mean, we had the death threats. We had Shiano. We had like everything with Jimbo leaving. And then the hire at Texas A&M. Yes, I am a boot guy. (laughs) Uh, And then there's also been some, some pretty significant ones in there too, that I'm sure we're going to get to along the way. (laughs) But, Uh, so first of all, I I would say that, um, do we want to take this from a, like, let's look at a job and let's analyze it. Or do we want to start with just sort of memories of, of going through that coaching carousel, which again, like the, the Jim McElwain, he was out with like four games left to play. Randy Shannon finished that almost the whole last month. Uh, butch jones also got out early and it stretched again until rich rod was ousted i believe in february january or february it was a long one it involved a lot of power five jobs Uh, do do y'all have any any fond memories uh, of the ups and downs of this coaching carousel
2: i have one that sticks out to me and it's it's kind of a point that i think is carried over this was the first coaching cycle that involved the early signing period right and so you had guys getting hired, and instead of having six or eight weeks to put together the, the recruiting class like they normally would, you had guys getting hired who had eight days, twelve days, fourteen days to put together a, a recruiting class. And um, I mean, six of our thirteen p- Power hires are still in their jobs. Right? right. That's pretty crazy. After just three years, that you have, have more than fifty percent of those guys have already been fired. I I went back and looked at, at the recruiting classes put together by these power five guys in their, you know, their, their short season class, they're horrendous, right? Like we're, we're talking about attrition rates at 70% in some cases, 80% got, got and not even like for 2021 season, but like 70% of your 2018 class didn't make it to the 2020 year in some of these cases. And it kind of carried over a little bit into 2019 recruiting because these relationships are formed, you know, so early that these guys had to hit the ground running. And I, Uh, I think this is going to be a similar thing going forward as well. Like, unless ADs are a little more patient, because it's just harder to flip flip the thing quickly uh, with the way recruiting goes now with the early signing period. Maybe the portal will change that. But I remember, like, you got to get a guy in place for the early signing period; otherwise, you're you're kind of screwed. And you know, and this was pre-portal for the most part, uh, or at least pre-immediate eligibility. That sentiment was kind of right. My favorite memory was just because, like you
1: said, Chip, the Florida job was open for a while. And I had written during the season a column because, you know, like Chip Kelly was a name that was connected to like a candidate for Florida job. And I had written a column that said Chip Kelly was far more likely to take the UCLA job than he was the Florida job, just because Chip Kelly wasn't the type of guy who was going to want to coach in like the, you know, the crockpot, or you know, of of the SEC in that kind of spotlight, the UCLA was a job that fit his personality much better. And I had Florida fans for weeks telling me I was a moron. And then Chip Kelly ended up taking the UCLA
0: job. Tom Stradomus.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they got they got Dan Mullen, which I think has worked well for them. But we'll probably get to that later.
0: Well, that's like uh, we'll go ahead, Danny.
3: Well, I was just going to say my memories of this cycle uh, clearly surrounded Florida State and their. Uh, search and eventual hiring of Willie Taggart. I was, I don't know, kind of involved. I mean, they, I had some people call me for advice. And I remember saying Scott Frost would be my number one call, but I didn't think he was realistic because it was already kind of, he was going to Nebraska. Um, then it was kind of like Willie like and and it was most people liked the Willie Taggart hire. like we're taking him from Oregon. They're ticked off. like we stole him. this is his dream job. Um I talked to Mac Brown, who was interested in the Florida State job, and i I got asked about that and i I gave him an endorsement, but what I told Mac and I do think hurt him was his age, but what I told the people from Florida State was, Hey, when Bobby Bowden was my coach, he was older than Mac Brown was right now. Like, so don't let age be an issue, but it was kind of, I knew it was an issue. Um, so I, I remember being involved in the process and then the very same people that I was involved with three games in maybe it might've been two games in I can't remember when they lost the Syracuse and there was the ugly, I don't know, bud probably remember if it was week two or three. And I got a call from the very same people that made the hire, and they were like, "Do you think we made a mistake?" And I was like, "Uh oh, like if, not not from uh oh from I thought they made a mistake, but uh oh, if they're asking me this, this is a dumpster fire in the making, because if you're doubting your hire after two or three games." not optimal situation so I put out like a video to the FSU fan base like hey don't jump off the cliff just yet like let's not bail on the team give them a chance and then it's like a video now that I get mocked over because it was like haha like you were wrong like see you should have never backed them but I still go like it was still way too early and I do think that some of the the lack of support absolutely played into this snowball down for Florida state from that period on, it was just never recoverable. And then like, I'm not in Tallahassee. I'm not as connected. The things that I've heard now, after the fact, I'm like, Oh, I should have never put out a video. Like I should have never backed him and it was inevitable that it was going to get that bad. But I still, I don't care how bad it is. You kind of have to try to make it work at that point when you had paid as much money as you had.
0: Well, since we've also got Bud on here, let's, let's start right there at Florida state is it y'all's understanding the the, the hearsay at the time that like assistants were not recruiting, you know, that it was very clear even before Jimbo Fisher had stopped being the head coach that the signs were all to uh, in the direction of him leaving?
2: Yes. What, mm-hmm. one Like like I, I know we read that ESPN article where some of those assistants were quoted and said they were still recruiting. Not true. Like we, we talked to numerous high-profile kids who said they had not heard from Florida State in months, right? I know kids who were... You know, dming the staff and not getting responses so like high profile kids like you know five-star quarterbacks out of georgia so you know like they I, i'm of the belief that they were they were gone probably at least in september of that year after the hurricane and after the bama loss wow um, like that was something was definitely up i also had somebody from a&m reach out to me early on like not the work for a&m but somebody covers a&m and said hey I heard that we got a deal, you know, wrapped up. I was like, okay, I'm not going to put this out there because it's like, you know, mid-September. But this is something that I'm certainly – it just seems so odd that I'm going to think about this. Um, But I don't even know that that thing was completely done because the whole, you know, Auburn, Gus going to Arkansas type thing and then Gus messes it up by, uh, you know, winning the back-to-back games against Georgia and Bama. Uh, I I think that what Danny's getting at, and I agree with him, is – like if internally you're concerned after just two games, your concerns are not coming from just the two games, right? They're concerned, like your concerns are coming from some stuff, you know, not, uh, not, not booking hotels in the right city or whatever. And I, I think some of the people, I don't know if this was actually foreseeable necessarily, because I don't think these things had gone on at prior schools, but I do think some of the people that Willie brought with him from Oregon were not qualified to handle that, that caliber of job. And I think that they, some of those inner office hires and behind the scenes hires he made really kind of doomed him. Um, he also you know, didn't get to get the DC he wanted because, you know, I pretty sure he wanted to bring Levitt with him and Oregon fought tooth and nail to keep Levitt probably in part because, you know, the interview for the FSU job allegedly went down on a big Oregon boosters plane, which they didn't take kindly to. And when, when it was supposed to be on a recruiting trip mm. and you know, you, you piss off billionaires, they end up giving more money to the defensive coordinator than you want. Uh, but I also think that there were some things that were beyond Willie's control that also doomed him, right? Uh, the APR score that Jimbo left him made it so it was very difficult to flip the roster, right? They were really having to figure out, like, how many more kids can we kind of encourage to transfer before we get APR penalties? I mean, they were last in the nation among Power 5 teams in APR and dangerously close to you know, getting, like, bull banned, which is something you just don't see from Power 5 teams That's ever. academic
0: progress rate for any, yeah, any listeners correct. that might be up. This, it, was, it was an academics issue.
2: Yeah. Now would they have fired him had they known that the pandemic was coming and that you really wouldn't be able to sell any tickets for, for 2020? I probably not, but you can't use hindsight in that. And I I understand why they made the move, even though I do think in some ways it was kind of quick, uh, but they didn't have a whole lot of recruiting momentum at the end of 2019 either.
0: I was in on Willie Taggart. I mean, I'm a, I'm I'm a sucker. Like there's not going to be a lot of hires where I'm just going to jump in and say bad hire. It's just not really in my my personality. I tend to envision things and and try and see the way that they could work out. And man, you were right. They were pumping up the Bradenton native that is so happy to be back in Florida and ready to, you know, just uh, own recruiting and it seems like there was a a good bit of a a race, right? I mean, because the the Florida search is, starts early, and you know, there's the Chip Kelly, which you know you mentioned, Tom. You wrote a column about. Then, like, wasn't Scott Frost very again similar to what you were saying? Scott Frost is just sort of, you know, out there. Well, he's not out there. He's crushing it with UCF during that that particular season. That was the undefeated season, national champions. Congrats to uh, the the Massy Collecs in the in the <laughs> index national champions. But I. I, I think that when Dan Mullen was eventually hired and when Willie Taggart was hired at the time, it felt like Florida State had gone to get its guy. It felt like Florida had made a pretty good hire. You know, you were seen everything he'd done at Mississippi State. But I don't know that I could have foreseen the separation that was going to happen between those two at the time. And that might be my ignorance to some of those issues that you mentioned at Florida State or not taking into consideration what the emotional toll that it would take to have a a coaching staff basically bail on you mid season and how hard that would be to repair inside that locker room. But at the time, I I don't know that I put Florida's higher definitively ahead of Florida States. If I was ranking them.
1: Yeah. I gave the taggart higher an a at the time in in my grading, in my grades, I thought, he was a very logical hire for the job considering the experience he had within the state. He had, had put together good, fun, interesting offenses. I thought coming to Tallahassee with his knowledge of the, you know, recruiting in the state and all that kind of stuff, I thought there was a lot there that made a whole lot of sense. And like, we've all gone over a bunch already. There was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that unless you were kind of tied in there, you probably weren't really aware of. And I certainly wasn't aware of it, but I feel like in a lot of, in a different situation, Willie Taggart might still be at Florida State, and he might have been having success at Florida State. So I don't know how much of his situation is entirely on him, or how much it's just a mixture of a whole bunch of things. But at the time, I really thought the hire
0: was a good move. Jim McElwain it- slam dunk. We think no, like no questions. Looking back on it, I think it's worked out. Bet I think I don't know. I would say maybe about par. If you actually look at the results, it probably feels like there's a little bit more momentum just because you've got. Three straight New Year's Six bowl appearances, good ranking, good finishes, uh, and an SEC East championship in this past season. But, I mean, that a Florida, it seems like the things you would expect Dan Mullen to be able to do, uh, especially this year when you lose Kyle Pitts and the offense is still finding ways to be really productive. I, I feel like he has lived up to, if not exceeded, what you would expect to happen.
1: Gave it an A. I wrote at the I said the Gators flirted with Chip Kelly and Scott Frost before landing Dan Mullen, and it might be the greatest thing to happen in Gainesville since Urban Meyer came to town. Mullen's familiar with the territory and was part of the last coaching staff to win the title at Florida. If he could accomplish what he did at Mississippi State, imagine what he'll be able to do with the resources he now has at his disposal. We're starting to see that already. This is a team that going into 2021, I mean, they're losing a lot, obviously, but they're on the right kind of trajectory where – If they end up, you know, not just winning the SEC East, but if they win an SEC title at some point in the next few years and end up in the playoff, I don't think anybody on this show is going to be shocked about it.
2: I I would agree. Um, I think all the things we thought Mullen would do well have been true, right? Like he's he's an excellent developer of quarterbacks. He's a very good offensive coach. I think he's a guy that manages the program really well. And the questions about can he recruit, which, you know, I think partially stemmed from the difficulties of recruiting at Mississippi State. Are somewhat answered, but somewhat un, somewhat unanswered, right? Uh, you know, if I think their fans and message boarders would say, like, "Hey, does he care about recruiting like a Kirby Smart or an Ed Orgeron or Nick Saban?" And so far, it, it's tough to say the answer to that is yes. Um, you know, we we've profiled, I think, I think back on Barton and Bud, um, R.I.P., that a, a really large number of players for Mullins' team this year were from the high school classes of 16 and 17, which he didn't recruit, right? Like their 2018 class, and 2019 class are not very good, so this year's team, if if it's to succeed, is going to have to come from a you know better 2020 class that they signed 13 you know 13 14 months ago. But I think the recruiting is improving. Um, he's made some you know some some hires to try to reflect that and improve that. And I think this is kind of what you thought you would probably get with Dan Mullen. And I think it's a little bit better because I didn't think that McElwain's recruiting the last two years of his tenure there. Uh, were, was as good as, as it turned out to be. There was a lot of players in those last two classes McIlwain signed who are, are going to go to the pros.
3: Do you – so I thought the Gators, and I used this to kind of troll them in my analysis, like this wasn't even your first pick, but I think it's going to work. Like, And that's kind of – and I think his personality fits the Gator fan base perfectly. And this, this is definitely a little Florida State blood in me that's always had this adversarial relationship with Florida players and fans. They're a little bit cockier. They've got a little bit of an edge to them. Uh, and I think Dan, I think Mullen does. I think he's, I think he embraces that and it comes out in his press conferences. It comes back when he comes out at halftime and gets the crowd into it and tries to like fire him up when he's doing it. Uh, the press conference with his Darth Vader mask, like, and now I, I wonder if some of that gets old. Um, I think it's been a fantastic hire. I think it's worked out great. There is a piece of me that wonders what direction this team goes next year. Cause I think they can keep this momentum going. It wouldn't surprise me at all, but there's also a piece of me that like, in just looking at the way their schedule played out this last year. Do you remember when Mark Rick was at Miami and they were undefeated? Did they get high as number two, which is yeah. crazy to say in I mean, November, they were number two <clears throat> lost to Pitt lost to Clemson, lost to Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. three losses to finish the season.
1: Not a bad loss in the bunch. Everybody loses a pit once in a
3: while. That's right. That's right. (laughs) You look at this team. I know there were one loss. They weren't quite as high, but they still had these massive expectations. Lose a shocker to LSU, then lose to Bama competitively. No, no harm in that. And then, you know, losing to Oklahoma with some excuses, which I get, and some of them are valid, but like, I think it's crazy. The, the perception of the, the season is, oh, it was this home run season. What a great year because you beat Florida. Like, is that is that it? Like, way to go. But to alluding to some of the recruiting issues, like quarterback's going to be replaced. The defense should get better. They weren't very good last year. They should get better. And I know they've addressed it through the transfer portal. But I'm very curious to see. Like, I am, and you guys have known this for the past few weeks when I've said, hey, I think we're going to go back to being a Georgia pod. I feel more bullish about Georgia this off season than I do about Florida, not to say that Florida couldn't surprise, but I just, I'm very curious to see how it unfolds this year.
0: So if uh, Dan Mullen has pretty much been what we expected and uh, I'm going to just very, very simply broad brush this with uh, the offense has been really good. Quarterback development's been good. Recruiting, you know, it's uh, kind of a mixed bag. He hasn't really changed anyone's expectation. That Jimbo Fisher recruiting through the roof and the offense has been a very Jimbo offense, but being able to have uh, you know, a good staff, some some good recruiting on the defensive side. You build up that offensive line. We clearly saw Texas A&M number four in the final AP poll, number five in the final college football playoff rankings. Jimbo Fisher, who left Florida State to go to Texas A&M, uh, has been meeting expectations. Do you think he is on schedule or ahead of schedule reaching this kind of success, flirting with the college football playoff at this point in that it's a seven-year deal, right? Or is it a 10-year yeah. deal?
3: Ten years, seventy-five. Ten year 75 like, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I think, and I think twenty twenty-one is going to tell us a lot about this because I think obviously Texas A and M is moving in the right direction from what he took over to the fact that it was you know the other team that was considered for a playoff berth. They were the team with the argument, besides like you know the fruitless argument of Cincinnati, Daniel. But I, I want to see what happens now that is is Kellen Mond gone. I want to see because I just sit here and I look at Jimbo Fisher and who was the last quarterback he had that you can say was markedly better by the time Jimbo was done with him than he was when he started. Because like when when Florida State won that national title, Jameis was a redshirt freshman. And then Jameis never really grew and hell Jameis hasn't really grown ever since he's gone to the NFL and he took over Kellen Mond. And I feel like Kellen Mond improved a little bit, but he didn't take any really significant steps forward. And I think that for somebody with Jimbo's background, I want to see, him. I think if Texas A&M is going to get what they're paying for as far as the 75 million, because he's being paid, not just to recruit, he's being paid to win the sec West, to beat Alabama, and to get to the college football playoff. And I think that he's capable of doing that. I just think that he needs to show more with his quarterback development to get there, because if he doesn't do it, I don't see it happening. I see Texas A&M just being
2: a very good second tier team. Or fit the QB proof, the offense more, right? Like Alabama Mm -hmm. has done like Oklahoma has done, you know, like I think Georgia is trying to do the, I agree with Tom that this is going to be an important year, right? Um, I think Jimbo's recruiting extremely well there. He seems kind of re-energized and refocused. And I, I think A&M, even if they don't win a title, will probably get what they paid for, especially given the inflation in coaching salaries. But like we, I think we've already said a couple times here, the stat that scares me is that the rest of college football is changing and his offense is not, right? 102nd, 108th, 98th in passing explosiveness. I don't think he's running anything different than he did prior the rest of the sport has become more explosive this is like if you're still a double doubles and singles hitter still bunting you know still running the ball too much where the rest of baseball is hitting the ball over the fence right you just you're not keeping up and when i watch jimbo's offense their big plays have to come from hitting a guy in stride right like make, making the right read it, it's it's a full readout you're hitting the dude in stride you know run after the catch type stuff he doesn't design a whole lot of shot plays this is just not what he does. He kind of believes in the purity of his offense. If you have a, a football genius like Jameis apparently was, it looks freaking awesome. And it's extremely difficult to stop, by the way. If you don't, I think the floor on this offense is lower than some of these other offenses. And you, know, you compare it to somebody like an Oklahoma, Oklahoma runs probably two, three plays a half that are designed for one guy, right? They're try- and, and Alabama did the same damn thing. They're trying to hit homers by freeing one guy up. It's, a, it's, it's really kind of a play design for one dude. And if it's not open, okay. But, like, I think that's kind of what's missing there is QB-proofing the offense. I think they put so much responsibility on the QB. I mean, they, they call the protections, you know, that, that type of stuff as well. I think it needs to become a little bit more collegiate. Otherwise, it does risk falling behind slightly.
3: I would go a step further and say if they don't change things, they're going to be the same. Like, they're going to get the same results. I just, and this is kind of the way Georgia fans got upset with me because I was like, you guys aren't beating Bama at their game, which it used to be. Now you have zero chance trying to beat Bama when they're evolved and now they have both sides of the ball intact. You know what I'm saying? Like it used to be, you know, Bama was running the same offense as Georgia and you could maybe try to give it your best run and they were getting closer. But then once Bama adjusted and brought in, lane and opened up the offense it was over like that was all she wrote and until Jimbo and Texas A&M evolve offensively I don't think they have a chance to win the SEC unless there's a massive regression at Bama you know and even then I I think they're like I I think Texas A&M's schedule worked out magnificently from this year I think the shortened season was great for them um, I think, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm around Texas and there should be, but I don't, I I'll be very curious to see how this, this season plays out. I just wonder if they've, if this year was their ceiling, I mean, it was Kellen Monds could be third or fourth year, you know, like I, that's what I'm, I'm, I wonder if this is, if that was the best it's going to get, because even if their defense gets better, There's just – there's so much offensive innovation. You can have a great defense, as Georgia has had, and they had really good quarterbacks. And Jake Fromm, who's a great game manager and great leader and all those things, wasn't enough to get past the biggest hurdles on their schedule.
2: I I do think their floor is very high, though, right? Like, they they rarely get blown out. They will consistently win a whole lot of games. It's just – you can't beat home run hitting teams with with doubles – at that, like that, if you want to get to that twelfth win, that thirteenth win, that's what you got to do.
3: What do you think their floor is when you say that? Nine and three, I think regular
2: yeah. season, Th- third or better in the West consistently. Yeah. Right. You know, so sometimes second in the West, especially if LSU doesn't get its act together.
3: So better than Sumlin, yes. Sumlin was yeah. getting Yes, nine but not
2: better than people. Sumlin's peak, maybe. Right, right. like I think well, higher was, than and Sumlin's it really,
3: floor. I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't Sumlin's peak; it was Johnny yeah, Manziel's peak, and that's what they need. Is because John, and it wasn't even about the offense. It was about him making plays. He was out there running playground plays. So that, I mean, they, if they get a difference maker at quarterback, kind of like Jameis was a difference maker when he was winning the Heisman Trophy, then maybe that's the answer. But I, I still don't know if it works in this era.
0: And here come Texas A&M fans into the reviews and you can leave a review for a future mailbag. Leave a five star, put your review, put your question in there. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. Coming up on the other side, two of the biggest names around this coaching carousel were Scott Frost and Chip Kelly. Now they both still are employed at the Power 5 jobs that they ended up landing at, but how do we grade that higher looking back on it We'll get into that and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance Well, hey, well, while you're listening, it's easy. Go and follow and stream on Spotify. All right. The right. Uh, let's start with Scott Frost. Is Scott Frost still the Nebraska head coach in 2022?
1: Hmm. I'm going to say yes, but...
0: Not confidently?
1: It's, it's not like a confident yes. Yeah, it's... I mean, I, I don't know. Do we know what his buyout is? I was just going to ask. <laughs> Because I think a lot of it's going to depend on the financial situation at Nebraska, where is if, you know, they didn't have fans this year, hopefully we're in a situation next year where, you know, we're back to normal and there are more fans and there's more revenue coming in. But like, if they go six and six next year, but it's been like two years without the same kind of revenue stream. I don't know if Nebraska will be able to move on if it chooses to, but I think I, I, I think what I'm saying is I'm just going to get out of the business of trying to predict what's going to happen with Nebraska. I'm just going to wait and see what happens because I am wrong no matter what I say every single time.
3: Uh, I looking for the
2: buyout. I don't see it.
0: Well, he got
3: a two. I got this from 2019, December of his extension. Yeah, he He went eight
0: and 13, and then got a two-year extension which runs through 2026.
3: And the buyout is 5 million per year through 2024, but drops to two and a half million per year in the final two years. Um, so it's about 15 ish around there. Yeah, that sounds right. So it's not, it's not prohibitive. I mean, there are, it's, people are writing checks nowadays that never will surprise me. Especially <laughs> Nebraska's got a thick fan base. Um, I think they've got one thing going for them, and that's the fact that they play in the West. Like, if you could get a little bit more, if you could find the quarterback, you know, I do I, – and I'm a believer in Scott Frost. And it hasn't worked out that great, but I just feel like – I mean, Northwestern has won two out of the last three division titles there. Like, you got to be able to get more out of that. And if you don't, then it's like where these – you know is this the end, they start becoming more legit. Like, I, I I would expect them to have a much better season this year. When I you know, say much better, I'm talking seven or eight wins. And if they don't, then I think he's in trouble.
1: Yeah, so, like, the one thing you could hang your head on going into this year, like if you looked at the 2020 season with 24-7's team talent rankings, like Nebraska, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan were the top three as far as the talent rankings were concerned. Nebraska was fourth. It was considered the most talented team in the West. It's just – All that talent is now left because there's been a a bunch of transfers. Wondell Robinson's left. He's gone to Kentucky. I don't know what the quarterback situation is. So I I feel like the most important thing, obviously, is Scott Frost needs to find a quarterback that can run his offense and run it well. And they kind of still need to... Up that talent floor, I think, if they're really going to be in that shape where, you know, of what they're getting or what they wanted when they hired him, because they hired him to bring Nebraska back and to bring it to the level of what he was able to do with UCF. And like you said, Danny, in the West, I feel like that is achievable, although I don't think you can recruit at Nebraska as easily as you could recruit at UCF, at least for what you want to do. And my concern is, as we've seen over the years, That kind of offense that Scott Frost ran at UCF, you haven't really seen a team in the Big Ten have consistent success doing it.
0: Purdue, is that the best thing that you would have going for you? And that's not even using the splits. I'm not going total schematics here, but I'm just trying to uh, put in perspective, especially with the idea that, like, Ohio State has overwhelming talent. You got to put them in sort of a different category altogether. But the idea... yeah,
1: But when you get to the, uh, the teams outside that elite talent tier, that kind of spread stuff has not worked nearly as well in the big 10 as it has in, in like the Southeast and in, on the Hell West yeah. coast.
0: Don't, don't bring I, that football around here.
1: I, no, I, think I don't think, their- I think it's just like talent in the area. I think that the way the football is played here, there's a different kind of kid available here than there is in the Southeast and
2: the West, because you don't really get to play football all year round in the Midwest. <laughs> Tom nailed it as far as the attrition in those recruiting classes, right? Like, like if you were to take out the kids who left those recruiting classes and we talked about this to open the show, they suck, right? Like we know that, that Nebraska took some risks on some kids who were either academically or behaviorally criminally, whatever, very talented, but you know, very questionable and, uh, their bust rate on those kids has not been what they hoped. Right, those guys have washed out overwhelmingly, and those were the more talented players in many of those recruiting classes. So, I mean, like you, you, you take those kids because you you hope that you can assimilate them into your system and they don't cause problems for you, and they can they, they can show their talent. But it, it didn't happen. Right there, most of those guys are gone. So I don't think this team has the talent. Uh, and in fact, Tom referenced the twenty four seven Sports composite uh, team talent ratings. I think that was accurate start the year, but a lot of those guys never ended up playing and, and departed shortly thereafter. Uh, we had Bill Connolly on on Monday. He talked about this team has quite a bit of returning experience on, on defense, which is a good thing. I, I think he will be the coach in 22, but I'm not super confident in it.
0: Mm. All right. So chip Kelly, uh, another team UCLA that we mentioned on Monday show with Bill Connolly. be sure to go check it out. Follow in three months, Spotify. Um, we saw steps forward. UCLA looked like a, a competent football team. They, they lost. You know, they, It wasn't like the final record represented uh, large leaps forward. Uh, they didn't win the division. That was won by USC with a 5-0 regular season record. But did you see enough to, combined with some of the returning production rankings, believe that UCLA has, after at, at times being uh, hilariously inconsistent, right, Like, he, like, capital H, hilariously inconsistent. The sum of their results during Chip Kelly's first couple seasons did not line up. Uh, There would be one game where things would be fantastic, one game where things would be abysmal. Uh, There was the epic 63 to 58 shootout with Washington State, which all of a sudden, you know, you can credit Washington State's defense for some of the Bruins success there, but like, the, the ups and downs look like a daggum EKG when it comes to the kind of performances that UCLA has had for the most part. Did you see enough this in this short, small sample size season to think that Chip Kelly, after coming into the year, you know, everyone's looking around like, is this thing gonna work? How long is UCLA gonna stand by him? Does UCLA really care enough to try to make a move on him? You know, what's has, has your mind changed much over the last uh, eight months with the Bruins and with Chip Kelly?
1: It's. It's hard because I don't know what mattered in the Pac-12 this year or what meant anything. Because the Pac-12, like you said, it's such a small sample size. That it's like on the one hand, hey, UCLA definitely seemed to be taking steps forward, which is encouraging. It's just I I don't know what we saw from the Pac-12 this year that we could take as something we could expect to see repeated or if it wasn't just a result of a crazy environment in which you saw them start late after pretty much not having players on campus or able to practice for months because that's like the big 10 delayed the start of its season, but big 10 players were still on campus. Like teams were still prac like in the weight room, in the training room, doing all that kind of stuff to prepare for the season in case it started. Pac-12 wasn't able to do that. So it led to a really wonky kind of strange short season. So I don't know. I, I, I loved the hire when they made it, I still think he deserves more time because I do think, again, 2020 was definitely an improvement over what we'd seen. But I, I don't know that I'm convinced it's going
2: to work out in the long run yet. I buy into the returning production. I think Chip Kelly is you know, probably a decent coach. The recruiting has sort of underwhelmed. I, I if the, if If last year's team had lost a whole bunch of guys off it, I'd be pretty concerned because they have not recruited well.
0: Uh, Are they still but, doing that thing where they're only giving out offers on one day a month?
2: Uh, no, I think they quit that.
0: Oh, thank goodness! That was stupid. it was
2: interesting, but also not super effective. Uh, I, I think this team can be pretty decent, and I don't think UCLA, given the budget issues, is in a big time hurry to, to, to fire him. I I, I kind of marked him not as thriving, but as the surviving category on on, on my sheet. I, I think he's I think he's doing fine, but I don't have. Crazy high expectations for UCLA. Maybe I should.
3: I don't. What's crazy high expectations like winning the South? Yeah, I think they'll be better. I think they have. I think it's like mandatory for them to get to. I was going to say six, but I kind of think it's seven. Um, but I think it's within reach. I mean, you look at their games. They had this last year. They were competitive in every single game, uh, within one score. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson got more out of him, but I think it is funny. Like I think everyone was like, "This is the perfect fit." For Chip Kelly he's in a major market his offense may not have worked in the, with the NFL but this is the great spot he's back in college where he belongs um I'd say it's been underwhelming though like the first two years were absolutely underwhelming I think I was surprised at the lack of success there. this year you did start to see it but like I think I think next year will be massive for Chip Kelly in order like some of these grades like if you graded him now, like, I think clearly Willie Taggart's the easy F. There'll be some others that we'll get to, I'm sure. But, like, this one, I think it's like a C, which is a cop-out. But it's kind of – you know, and Scott Frost is probably there too, maybe a C-. minus. Um, but these are clearly those those two coaches that have, ma- you know, massive amounts of dollars at stake this season.
2: So They also play LSU this year.
3: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Nebraska has Oklahoma too. <laughs> I
2: saw that. That Jeez. is uh- – That's going to make that eight wins difficult. I I can see seven. Eight is uh, tough.
0: So uh, Kevin Sumlin fired from Arizona. Chad Morris fired from Arkansas on an even shorter timeline uh, than Sumlin. Willie Taggart, similarly to Chad Morris, fired from Florida State. Matt Luke fired from Ole Miss, replaced by Lane Kiffin. Joe Moorhead fired by Mississippi State very abruptly. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt fired from Tennessee – Though of of those, um, which which ones stand out? Maybe as as the most like Joe Moorhead surprised me. But then the second that I started to get into the um, idea and hearing more about the just it not being a good fit, like I'm I'm never going to be able to to stand in the way. Of like well, per, in any profession, in any organization, if the communications not there and if the relationships aren't there, then it's not going to work out. Then it shouldn't uh, need to fit the perfect. This many wins over this many years equals fired. This many wins over this many years equals extension. There are other aspects to that. So I would say Moorhead was the one that on face value probably surprised me the way that the tenure went. But again, with all the extra stuff there, um, I guess I I use that as the context to make it a little bit less surprising. Which ones of the fired, the coaches who were hired during the 2018 cycle, but have since been fired from that current position, which ones really stand out to y'all?
2: I think Moorhead, uh, yeah, like you said, bad cultural fit. I also think that there was some dissatisfaction with the recruiting there in Starkville because look, Old Miss still had the probation thing going on. I think Mississippi State expected to clean up during that time; they did not. And I think you have a case there of a school not realizing that it was bumping up against the ceiling, and the chance that it like could even get like stay at that ceiling uh, was low, right? Like Mississippi State's not going to do better than Dan Mullen did there. Like he took them to the absolute best. They can ever be, in, in my opinion. Like, I really don't ever expect that team to play in the SC Championship game ever, given all, all the other programs that are in that division, unless you have some kind of realignment. Um, that I, I think Arizona should not have hired Kevin Sumlin. I think Sumlin should have taken a year off, you know, and kind of regrouped a little bit.
1: Yeah, it was like a rebound for both. <laughs> yeah. Cause, Cause like Arizona had unsurprisingly had to get rid of Rich Rod, and then Sumlin was just kind of like, you know, still in that tore up after getting dumped kind of situation and they just looked at each other from across the bar at 2 a.m. and said all right let's go home together
0: hey been there
1: chad Morris
2: didn't win a game in the sec see
1: that was when i remember i i didn't think they should have fired Bielama at the time yeah i agree Mm
3: -hmm. so
1: yeah i wasn't surprised that didn't work out uh
3: i thought i didn't think it would be as bad as it was it's Moore hard to bad. predict. It's going to be that as bad as it was zero. Wins. Right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> right. The Jeremy Pruitt thing I think is probably the one and it's because it's freshest in our mind. We just saw it play out, um, was one, I didn't think it was going to work. I mean, just all the sur- surrounding circumstances around it. I don't, I don't, maybe he's not head coaching material. What I, I just did not think it was going to work. Um, the someone thing, totally agree with you guys. Um, and that's, and mean uh, it's it's hard like how many of these were we wrong on
0: uh, mm. those ones
3: probably the joe moorhead probably was one where i thought he would carry the momentum a little bit better better of the program like that one to me i didn't think it was i volatile. could tell you one
1: i was very wrong on and, and looking through my coaching grades from that cycle there was only one hire made during that cycle that i gave an f to does anybody want to guess what it was
0: mario Cristobal
2: Arizona state yeah, Herm Edwards. Edwards. Yep.
0: Oh yeah, we can't get out of here without talking about Herm, who has absolutely surpassed everyone's expectation, and I would not short that stock um, at all. I think oh. there's a what what, what is the um, like he he's got a certain template, right? Like he he approaches the recruiting um, just trying to to get like certain. He's he doing the heights and weights and speeds? Like he, he's got it all in mind about the kind of player that he wants from a physical standpoint, then he just believes that they're going to be able to coach him up and develop him.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, I think they're taking kind of like an NFL draft kind of evaluation way of doing it.
2: I, I I think there's definitely something to that. I, I also think that in some ways think that can get overblown a little bit. One thing they have done really well is that they have timed up hiring young guys who have real connections in Southern California, right? Hawkins, Antonio Pierce, th- those guys who make real connections there. And they hit the parlay because they did that at a time when USC staff was really slacking, right? Like mm-hmm. they hit their big recruiting class in a year in which USC finished 64th and had to fire a bunch of its staff because it's like, wait, you guys can't recruit. Like we need to get somebody in here who actually can recruit. And they, they managed to also time it up at a time when the number one power in Southern California is perpetually – Like, is the coach going to be there next year? So it creates some doubt. I think it creates some openings for Arizona State to recruit those kids in SoCal. In addition to the fact that UCLA, as Chip mentioned, was doing some stuff that was maybe a little too outside the box at the time and not effective, it it created a lane, and and Arizona State crashed the lane. I I think it was very very well done by them. I did not see that happening, Uh, and they've taken advantage. They make their own luck, but also like when 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 opportunities appear, you got to hit them.
1: Yeah, and even like some salt in the wound, because you mentioned how well Antonio Pierce has done recruiting in Southern Cal. Antonio Pierce went to Arizona. So Arizona <laughs> hired Kevin right. Sumlin. Herm brought in a former Wildcat to run his defense and to help him recruit. And now look at where the two programs are in comparison to one another.
3: It's funny looking back on it and hearing Tom's grade of an F. It was almost... I mean, find me an article that said Herm Edwards is yeah. going to crush it. You know, just, there wasn't any. Everyone mocked this one. I will say I was one of the one, maybe one of the only ones, and it was probably because I had a relationship with him at ESPN when we were together. I liked him so much that I wanted him to succeed. And I was like, let's just slow down. Let's give him a chance. Let's do it. Uh, you know, he's in, in having played under somebody like Bobby Bowden, who was very much a figurehead and could delegate authority and could hire a great staff and be a great recruiter that, kind of vision was like, okay, maybe he can be something similar to this. And I think he's like that, but I also think he's more hands-on than coach Bowden was, but I didn't think he'd have this much success. You know, I, I didn't think it would be work out like this. And by the way, when you start hearing like, Oh, it was his agent. That's his athletic director that right. announces him. It's like, Ooh, is this really going to work? And then are they
0: about to bleed Arizona state for as much money as possible? And just right, both walk out right. together. <laughs> And he uh-oh. didn't know the mascot in the press yes, conference. That was yeah. the, like that, that was
3: another part of it. Don't call I, me I no don't. devil. I, I, <laughs> that was that was when I was like, uh oh, am I is this gonna look really bad? But it's worked out way better than anybody expected, that's for sure.
2: I love listening to the opening press conferences, you know, like like Barton did, but I don't think we can really glean long-term takeaways from that, right? No. Because Herb Edwards press conference was just short of a rambling mess as Les Miles was, right? And Les Miles of Kansas has been a disaster. Hermit, which has been awesome at, at Arizona State. Um,
0: I guess that's great yeah. news for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? You know, they're, they're feeling a little bit <laughs> I didn't better, get to but... watch that one. It yeah. but, a, but it, it wasn't it was for the Jets. Great. Like,
3: that's the thing. You can never tell <laughs> from a press conference, you know? Yeah. I think you, I think it should be minimum requirement that you should crush the opening press conference uh, if you don't, I would be very worried and concerned. But it doesn't translate into success or failure. Like L- you should crush the card. Like that's the minimum. You should be able to talk. I like, can put together coherent sentences without bumbling your way through it.
0: We will uh, continue this exercise uh, later in the off season as we continue to go back and look at the, the different ways that this unfurled, the different dominoes that have fallen. This has been. Fun. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny mm-hmm. you can follow him at Black L.A. You can follow him at Tom Rebellion. Mm-hmm. You can follow me at Chip mm-hmm. underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, very much